welcome back to Jorge and John Talk About Soccer. We have finished the group stage of the World Cup, and we are now moving into the knockout stages. Very exciting. I am John Block, joined, as always, by Jorge Deneve. Here we go again. So we're going to do this episode a little bit differently than we have in the past. Instead of recapping the previous games and then previewing the upcoming games, we're going to sort of talk about some big talking points to start and then just dive right into previews. And as we do that, we'll sort of talk about how you know teams have gotten there who are in the knockout stages, and that'll include talking about the most recent group, stages, group stage games that we haven't talked about yet. But before we get to that, Germany is not a team we, we will be talking about in our previews because after their loss to South Korea, they are eliminated from the World Cup. How surprising is that for you, Jorge? I was shocked. I had them in the semifinal. I had them winning the group easily, just kind of dusting teams aside because you look at big tournaments and the Germans don't mess up. Like This is the first time they haven't made it out of the group stage. So it, it's still shocking. It's still a little raw. But I like looking at the way they played, with the exception of that second half against Sweden, they didn't score. And they, they couldn't score. And they didn't make really chances that were particularly dangerous. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. But that, that's, that was their main problem is they just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and I mean, considering how vulnerable they were on the counter and how far they pushed up, it was you know, surprising to say the least that they were so lackluster offensively. And I think... You know, that was true whether they had in Mesut Ozil or Julian Draxler or Marco Royce. Really, it, it didn't seem to make a difference. And, I mean, definitely a shock that, that they're not in. I know I, I definitely didn't think they were going to win it all again just because I think it, it's really hard to repeat, like I said in our first episode, and, and even for the Germans who, who are so consistent. You know, I think this is the first time since... I don't even know, 1950s or something like that, that they didn't make it out of the group stage. It's ridiculous how, how good they've been in World Cups. But, I mean, another way to look at it, you know, if you don't look at it from the Germany's perspective and you look at it from the, the reigning champs' perspective, that's three in a row and four of the past five reigning champions in the World Cup who haven't gone out of the group, group stage. And I feel like that's certainly an, enough to be a trend. And I just... I'm not really sure why that is because it's not like these teams, you know, sometimes you've got a team like France who is a little more explainable because they had so much turmoil going on in the dressing room. But then you've got teams like Spain, last World Cup, and Germany, this World Cup, where, you know, maybe there's some reports of that, at least they're having with Germany, but but certainly not to the extent of, of France after they won. And yet we're seeing the same kind of collapses in the group stage. Yeah, it's, it's a weird trend. So it's not like there's a World Cup hangover i mean the tournament's played every four years but but it happens and i don't know if it's because a lot of the players that come back that were on the last world cup squad are complacent and think oh we don't really have to turn it on until the group stage or or whatever went on but i mean it's happened and like that that is unexplainable but if we were to go back look more specifically at jeremy i think you have to point the finger at, at yogi love i mean for whatever reason, he did not have a midfielder that was able to cover the amount of ground they needed for how much their push their fullbacks pushed forward, and they were not dynamic enough. And you have to look at you know Leroy Sané being left at home and thinking, well, what was Love thinking? Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely going to get a lot of criticism for Sané. Personally, I think 
I have no idea why he didn't try playing three midfielders. It seems like they had no problem getting pressure up front, and, and you know, they either way, they were going to struggle, struggle to score goals. And so it's like, why wouldn't you go for more control and, and more ability to, you know, control the pace of the game and maybe stop teams on the counter by, you know, adding in Okai Gundogan maybe to the midfield of Cruz and Kadira or Cruz and Sebastian Rudy, which started the Sweden game before Rudy went off injured. It just doesn't make sense to me why he, he, he's, you know, put like, he made like for like changes game to game, but he never really changed his tactics, which from the first minute of the Mexico game really didn't work. Yeah. I, and I'm sure there will be a lot of, you know, analysis and criticism of what they did, what they should have done over the next, probably honestly, until the club season starts, because that's, this is going to be the big news. It's not going to be who wins now. It's that Germany didn't get through. And, and that's just what it is when you're, you're a powerhouse like the Germans. However, as heartbroken as Germany was, I feel like Senegal had to have been more heartbroken because they were knocked out on the FIFA fair play points, meaning they got more yellow cards than Japan. Yeah, we talked about this a bit last episode with regards to Belgium and England since they were tied on everything and playing each other. So it was a lot more likely that that, that group and the, the matchup between those two teams would end up going to fair play points. But with Japan losing to Poland 1-0 and Senegal losing to Colombia 1-0, they both ended up with the same points, goal difference and goals for, which ended up bringing it to fair play points. I think I have a lot of problems with this, and I, I've seen a lot of people upset with this. I think it's tough because I would say, and I think a lot of people would say, that Senegal looked like the better team throughout the group stage than Japan. And, you know, Japan, credit to them, they played a really good game against Senegal and got that 2-2 draw. They, they managed to beat Colombia. Obviously, they were a bit lucky with that red card at the very beginning of the game, but, you know, Colombia probably comes out of this group looking like the best team and Japan beat them, so definitely credit to Japan, and this isn't to take anything away from them, but Senegal, in all of their games, look like a, a very solid team. Even in their loss to Colombia, I think you could make a pretty solid argument that overall they were even you know, the better team than Colombia in that game. So I think for it to be some, something as arbitrary as yellow cards, which I think, you know, the difference was two yellow cards, I think it ended up being, and, you know, that can... There's so many different ways you can get a yellow card, and, and it just it's really arbitrary. So I think it's disappointing that that is the way Senegal goes out. Yeah, it hurts, and especially since I, I didn't see it, but I, I've seen kind of on Twitter there was a piece that basically said that Japan, once they got to like the 75th minute, were like, all right, we're not going to get any more yellow cards, and you know, just pulled back and kind of let the game fizz out. But I mean, either way, it's a rule that was on the books, and I think Senegal kind of took it on the chin. It was like, well, we knew it was a rule. We knew it was a possibility. We just didn't do enough. And then just kind of to add to that, this is the first time Africa has not put a team in the knockout stage since 1982, and that was under dubious circumstances, which would take way too long to get into in this podcast. But I, what, what does it mean for African soccer? Yeah, it's definitely tough as far as you know, the, the exposure that, that African countries get on the world stage. I think the World Cup is, is a time when a lot of, you know, a lot of people who aren't going to see a lot of the players from teams like Nigeria or teams like Senegal 
or, or teams, you know, who qualify from North Africa, like Morocco or Egypt or Tunisia, you know, most of those players aren't in, in major leagues, although, you know, with Senegal they are, but it's not like more casual soccer fans are watching Koulibaly in Syria with Napoli every week. So even those players aren't, aren't being seen all the time. And I think the World Cup is a good time for people to see those teams and recognize, oh, like there are really quality players here. You know, obviously, you know, you probably know Sadio Mane, but, you know, you probably don't know maybe Musa Wage, who was the right back for Senegal. He didn't play against Colombia, but he played in their first two games and, and looked pretty good. So I would say it's disappointing on that front. It's disappointing on the front that I think Senegal, based on their quality of play, is probably deserving to move on to the knockout stages. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I would say African teams still don't have the same quality as you know the, the top teams in the world, mostly European and some South American teams. So, you know, it, it's, at least for now, going to be a struggle for them to really break through. But, I mean, I'd still definitely like to see more of, of these teams, and I think people deserve to see more of them. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. I think uh, it hurts for Africa, but I mean, it's it's not like these teams played badly. And I think some of the players on those North African those North African teams, I think especially to Morocco, maybe caught the eye of, of a club in a bigger league and they can continue to improve against better competition and develop and maybe we'll see them four years down the road and they'll they'll play better. Um, maybe with a little fan backing as well, given that the World Cup's going to be so much closer. But, I mean, anyway, what what other eliminated team did you like? Because I think we each have a pick here that we feel pretty strongly about. Yeah, so I was a big fan of Peru. I think in all three of their games, they looked like a really solid team. Um, the, just the goal scoring for them wasn't there. They got shots but couldn't put it in the back of the net until their final game against Australia. I think on the whole... France and Denmark probably do deserve to go through from their group, but but Peru really impressed me. I think you know people maybe underestimated them because they weren't as well known a team. They hadn't qualified for a World Cup in a while, but you know they did, like we said, qualify out of South America, which is pretty tough to do, and they proved that they deserve to be at the World Cup for sure. Yeah, I, I will say about Peru, Paulo Guerrero gets a start, goal and assist, and they win. But anyway, I, my team that got eliminated that I really liked was Morocco. And I think one thing we saw with them is that in every game they grew and with, with a clinical striker, I think they, they beat out one of Portugal or Spain, but they played Spain to a two, two draw probably were the, had the upper hand against Portugal and definitely had the upper hand against Iran. I think just a, a combination of bad luck kind of doomed them and also not being able to mark corners. But I, they have some good players, some very creative players, and I think as long as they get someone that can stick the ball in the back of the net, they they may be a little more dangerous in four years. And it's good to see Morocco kind of back on the scene and making Africa a little more competitive. Yeah, definitely. I would I would agree with that one as well. But that'll do it for the 16 teams in this tournament that did not qualify. It is time now to move on to the 16 teams that remain and are in the knockout stages of the World Cup. Before we get into the previews for the specific games, let's talk about the bracket as a whole, because as many people have noted, looking at it, it looks super, super lopsided. On one side of the bracket, you have 
Uruguay, Portugal, France, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, Belgium, and Japan. And on the other side, you have Spain, Russia, Croatia, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, Colombia, England. So, Jorge, is this as lopsided of a bracket as it seems? I think if you look purely at the round of 16, then yes. But I think as you move along and you see teams that would meet in the core final and teams that would meet in the semifinal, it then evens out. Because really, if, if you take all your quote-unquote favorites to win, the only team with an easy you know, quarterfinal would be either Colombia or England. Because you would expect Croatia and Spain to win and who've both looked pretty good. And then obviously the other side we've seen is stacked. So I think beyond the round of 16 that this bracket is not going to look as bad. And I don't think that there are any, well, actually I take that back. There's probably two lopsided round of 16 games, but I don't think we're going to see an issue with competition. I think it's just going to be, you know, competitive and a couple of the bigger scalps getting knocked out earlier than we expect. But I don't actually think it's that bad. Yeah, I mean, I would agree in a broader sense. I think my specifics maybe differ a little bit. I mean, first of all, there have always been you know, lesser round of 16 matchups. I mean, last World Cup, we got Costa Rica and Greece, which, I mean, Greece didn't qualify for this World Cup, and Costa Rica didn't have an especially good performance. So it's not like those are, are really good teams. Obviously, Costa Rica did well in the last World Cup, but you know they got through against Greece on penalties in the round of 16, so their, their quarterfinal run wasn't the most difficult quarterfinal run people, you know, teams have had. So, I mean, if you look at this bracket, I agree with you that it, round of 16-wise, the side with, you know, Uruguay, France, Argentina, etc., looks a lot more stacked. But I think it, it looks stacked in the sense that these teams are the, the teams you expect to make it far in tournaments. You know, you expect Argentina to make it far. They made it to the, the final of the last World Cup. You know, Brazil is always in the conversation. France has, a, has an exciting young team. But if you look at how these teams have actually played, I think it becomes a lot more even. You know, Argentina, we'll get to it, but, you know, they obviously barely qualified for the round of 16. Portugal haven't looked amazing. France haven't looked amazing. Brazil a little better, but still haven't struggled. Mexico lost 3-0 to Sweden in their last group stage game. So if you take that view of it, if you kind of try to forget the big names and the small names, I think it becomes a lot more balanced because, you know, a team like Croatia had an excellent group stage and is coming out looking really strong. They're not as big of a name, but I think you could argue that the way they're playing, they should be thought of quality-wise the same as a lot of the teams, you know, in the the quote-unquote stronger side of the bracket, even if they aren't. Yeah, one more thing I will say about how the bracket shook out is that, I mean, if Portugal and Argentina win, fingers crossed, that would be Ronaldo Messi, which would just be incredible. I I really hope that happens. I, I'd be here for that. But first, they got to win. Uruguay-Portugal is our kickoff for the round of 16 Saturday morning. Uruguay came out perfect in the group stage, one of three teams to do so in this tournament, I believe. I mean, and then Portugal... Barely made it. Iran almost scored right at the death. So what what do you see from this game? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, we talked about this, but Group A was an astonishingly easy group for Uruguay. They didn't play super exciting 
attacking football in their first, you know, really in any of their games, they uh, they put more goals on on Russia, but they were up a man a lot for a lot of the game, and you know, it wasn't that exciting of a game, regardless, better than maybe we expected. But at the same time, you know, they've looked solid even against these bad teams in a way where I think that could continue. Whereas Portugal have had better competition. Obviously, they've played Spain to a 3-3 draw. But they have never... They've struggled at least at points in all of their games. So I would say Uruguay come into this game looking the better team, but there are still some question marks because they haven't played a team of Portugal's quality. Yeah, and I mean you could maybe argue that um, for Portugal... Spain had a pretty clinical striker, but I mean, I think Uruguay maybe has two of the top four strikers in this tournament in Suarez and Cavani. So if Portugal concedes chances like they have, some of the the big ones, those are going to get stuck away. Um, So it really kind of depends how how solid Portugal is and how good of a chance Ronaldo can get. Otherwise, I think Uruguay wins just kind of the same way they have been being good at the back not giving up very many chances and then scoring a goal at the other end when it presents itself yeah and that's definitely a good point as far as Portugal having a weaker defense I think that probably wasn't tested as much obviously they did concede three goals to Spain so you know if if they can work it out defensively I think they've got enough offensive pieces where they, they can score against Uruguay despite Uruguay's stout defense. And I do think Portugal have the advantage in midfield at least because Uruguay's midfield isn't as strong. But, I mean, credit to Uruguay. I would say I'd, I'd probably give them the edge, even though I do very much want to see Ronaldo versus Messi in the quarterfinals. Speaking of Messi, France versus Argentina is the second round of 16 game. France won their group. Not in super convincing fashion, they tied nil-nil with Denmark in their final group stage game. Both teams were pretty fine with that result because it would see them both advance. That was also the only nil-nil game so far this tournament. And I guess it's the only game we'll see and nil-nil without extra time or penalties. So one of 48 isn't too bad for the group stage. But that was certainly not an exciting game by any means. Meanwhile, for Argentina... They barely made it through. They needed to beat Nigeria in order to advance. They did so with a late winner by Marcus Rojo, of all people. But I would say both of these teams have, maybe to different degrees, but not quite lived up to what a lot of people expected of them. They've been awful. And we've already talked about how shambolic Argentina's been, but I don't think there's been really enough from us about how little France has created with the the players they have. I mean, you have players like Griezmann, Dembele, Mbappe, Lamar, Pogba, uh, Matuidi if you want, Tolisso if you want, Giroud's a good hold-up man. You'd think that this would be a team that is just flying forward and creating chance after chance, and they've scored three goals. That's it. So I I was watching, I think, the Fox post-game after the Argentina match, and Ian Wright was sitting there saying – you know, I wouldn't be all that surprised if Argentina pulled this one out. And I know Alexi Lalas and Rob Stone looked at him like he was crazy, but he's not because France has not been very good. I know Argentina hasn't either, but when you have two teams that have the sort of talent they have but also have not looked good, anything can happen realistically. 
yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that this is much less of a marquee matchup than it's going to be billed as. I think there's definitely a lot of talent on both teams, but a lot of talent that isn't utilized well. I think that's probably the story for both sides. Who do you think is going to come out on top? I mean, obviously, Argentina has a chance, like you said, and I think France is going to be favored maybe more than they should, but do you think that France will still win even if Argentina has more of a chance than people think or if Argentina will pull it off? I think that if ever Banega plays as well as he did against Nigeria, then this is Argentina's match. And just because they have, I think, more clinical players up front and players that, you know, have done this. France's team has not done this. Pretty much none of them were big parts of the squad four years ago, with the exception of Pogba. And even then, he was still kind of like, he's just kind of broken out at Juve and... He's, he's very talented, but he didn't do much. Now, outside of the game, I want to ask you, one, do you think Rojo's handball was a penalty against Nigeria? And two, what's the Maradona antic that the cameras are going to catch this time? I mean, I'll answer the second one first. I, I tweeted this when the Argentina-Nigeria game was, was happening, and I think it still stands. I would almost rather watch just a, a feed of Maradona than the match itself when Argentina's playing. Just every time they show him, it's amazing. I don't think he's going to do anything. I don't think the cameras will catch him doing anything quite as amazing as the double bird he gave in the Argentina-Nigeria game, which was spectacular. But, I mean, I could definitely see him in a, a clear drug and or alcohol-induced haze, again, have to be held down by, by one of his, I don't know, bodyguards or assistants or whatever as he's cheering and, and about to teeter over the edge of the booth he's in. It was so much fun to watch him. Like, uh, is he going to fall asleep again? I, yes. I would be, I don't know if I'll see it, but I bet he does fall asleep again. Okay. And now the other, was it a penalty? So, for Marcus Rojo's non-penalty where he headed off of his arm. I think the one thing is, in the Portugal-Iran game, that was given as a penalty, that same situation, or a similar situation, at least. I would say, on the whole, I'm, I'm not upset that it wasn't a penalty. I think, had it been given as a penalty, I wouldn't have complained either. I, I'm pretty split, I guess but it is definitely called inconsistently, I would say, between two different games. Yeah, so I, I guess the justification there is that that one was initially not called a penalty, and like I guess I didn't see enough on VAR to overturn it, whereas I think the one in the Portugal game was called a penalty from the start, and I guess I didn't see enough to overturn that one either. So I, I guess that's one of those inconclusive looks where you just go with the first call. Yeah, I mean, there have definitely been some more controversial VAR calls i think in the in Por- the portugal and spain games both those group b games there's a lot of var happening and i think people i think there was a, t- a point where there was var happening in both games at the same time which is kind of hilarious there was the there was the penalty and then to see whether iago aspas was onside on his equalizer or not so i mean var has definitely been getting getting a lot of use i think a lot of people there have been some more questions you know, 
decisions, most of them, I think, are, go by the wayside, where people are like, oh, yep, either VAR got it right or, or didn't get it right, or, or rather, the, the initial call was correct, and, and VAR just confirmed that, or, or the call was changed, and VAR got it right. I mean, I think there was one in the Columbia Senegal game where there was a really good tackle by Davinson Sanchez that was initially called a penalty, and you just it takes that one super quick. They just looked, saw that he had won the ball. It was a really good tackle. They overturned it, no penalty. So I think most cases are similar to that, but there have definitely been some controversial ones. I think whenever there's you know less than 100% certainty, there's going to be people who complain about it. Yeah. All right. That's a... That's fair. I would have gone with yes, but I'm, I'm okay with it not being called. But that takes Saturday's game. So now Sunday, Spain-Russia in the morning. Is this a good game? So Russia is going to play so defensively and just hope to nick a goal or hope to make it to penalties and then win on penalties. I, I can't imagine Russia is going to have very much attacking intent at all. You know, Spain's center backs are good enough where they can't just lob it up to Juba and hope he can bully them. I mean, you know, Spain's attacking is obviously pretty good when it's working. And I think it's at least in parts of games been working in every game so far. I think Spain's going to win. It's really a matter of if they can break down a Russian defense or not. And I think we saw with the Uruguay game that they're not all that stout defensively. I think maybe there, there is a bit of a difference as far as Uruguay playing more direct and Spain playing you know, more where they're going to try to break a Russian team down that's sitting so far back. So I think it'll be a little more difficult for Spain than it was for Uruguay. But I think Spain will get the job done. So here's what I think. I think if Isco gets on the ball enough, Spain will score because Isco can almost do what he wants. He's been that good this World Cup. What worries me about Spain is that they have a lot of pretty defenders who love to touch the ball around and can read the game really well. And I guess this also applies to Busquets. But when the other team is physical enough, they cannot make a solid tackle without fouling. So I think when Russia lobs it up to Juba, if he's anywhere near the box, either Pique or Ramos, neither of are shy from just kicking someone and giving up a free kick will give up a free kick in scoring position whether that actually creates something for russia remains to be seen and i I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue for spain but i can also see one of those spain defenders especially gerard piquet who arguably should have been sent off against morocco making a dumb foul, picking up a yellow and getting suspended for the quarterfinal i think that's the bigger worry for spain than winning this game yeah, that's fair. I mean, I would say Spain, they, they brought a decent amount of defenders. I wouldn't be too worried for them. I mean, PK is, is obviously one of the guys you want to start if he's available, but him being suspended is not the end of the world, like a starting center back being suspended might be for some other teams. That being said, I, I think that's a pretty good point. You saw in the Morocco game just some pretty sloppy play that led to Morocco scoring at least one of their goals, if not both. So, I mean, you know, and you've got De Gea, too, not playing at his best. So, I mean, there's definitely con- some concerns with the way Spain has played. They weren't spectacular by any means in the group stage. I-, I still think just because Russia's not a very good team that Spain will get the job done. Yeah. Next game, Sunday, uh, I guess, afternoon for most of you people, unless you're on the Pacific Coast, when, in which case it would be 11 in the morning. 
But Croatia, Denmark, I honestly see Croatia just brushing Denmark aside because they've been so good in the group stage. And I think we remember a lot that game against Argentina and how good they were, but I do think they had the better of Iceland, especially in the second half. And Rakitic sat that one out. And I, they've that's how good they've been. They've scored in every game. They've won every game. One of the one of the other ones with a hundred percent record. And Denmark have scored twice. I don't see them creating enough to really trouble um, even a not great Croatia backline with a not great goalkeeper behind it. I think this is probably the most straightforward of the eight round of 16 matches just because Denmark can't score. I mean, I don't think I'd go that far. I I would agree with you on the Croatia front. I think they are, like I said earlier, coming out of the group stage looking like an especially strong team. They played well in all three of their games. They won all three of their games. And, you know, they've got... Their good players are playing well. Modric is playing well. Rakic is playing well. Mandzukic hasn't scored, but I think he's done a lot up front and done a lot with his work right defensively as well for Croatia. I think they've been really organized defensively. I think that, you know, yeah, they don't have as good a back line, probably even as Denmark with Christensen and and Kiar back there and Schmeichel in goal as well. But they've, the hold for Croatia defensively has been better than the sum of its parts, I would say. And I, I think you're maybe underselling Denmark a little bit. I think... It's tough to really judge them on the France game because really neither team had any intent to really go at it in that game. I think their game against Australia was disappointing. And, you know, they got the win against Peru, but they only scored one goal in both of those two two games. So I would say that the scoring questions are fair. At the same time, I think there's enough talent on, on the wings and with Ericsson that they're a team that always can score a goal because because of those players. Yeah, they don't have have a clinical striker, but you know, Mandzukic hasn't hasn't scored for Croatia, so it's not like you know, Croatia's getting by on a clinical striker themselves. I do think Croatia will will win, but I think it'll be maybe a, a closer matchup than you do. Maybe. I I just think that Ericsson has to be special or Denmark has no chance. Now Monday's games, Brazil Mexico. Uh, Mexico looked like they were going to be one of the top teams coming into this knockout stage, and then they lose 3-0 to Sweden. Brazil has been not the Brazil you'd expect. So who who comes out on top? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because absent that game against Sweden, Mexico looked very good, whereas Brazil was you know middling to a kind of good, not that good consistently through all three of their games. So I think we'll probably see that same Brazil, but will we see the Mexico that looked good against Germany or will we see the Mexico that got, you know, their asses handed to them by Sweden? I think, I don't really know. I think that Brazil on the whole is the more talented side. And I think just because of that, if I had to judge the chances of what will happen, Brazil will win. But I think it, it's more of like an either-or as far as if Mexico comes out really strong, like they, they were earlier in the group stages, I think they can definitely take it to the Brazil team and get a win. And if they don't, they're not really going to have a chance. Yeah, I mean, Mexico's capable. But one thing that has happened to Mexico, and I think 
you could argue that you saw it in South Africa, you saw it in the Copa America Centenario, you saw it in in Brazil at the World Cup as well. When they're playing well, they're great. But when they all of a sudden stumble and fall on, you saw it against Sweden when that first goal came in off a kind of freak deflection and then Augustinsson put it in, Mexico just falls apart. And I think that is exacerbated by their best center back being suspended for the quarterfinal with Hector Moreno's yellow card, which personally I don't think was a yellow and I don't think it was a penalty, but it's been given. It's happened. So I think whoever this fresh defender is, whether they put in Rafa Marquez at center back or they slide Alvarez in and do a little shift, that whoever now plays at center back is just going to have Philip Coutinho, who has been by far Brazil's best player, run straight at them and make them make a decision. Um, And I just don't think Mexico will be ready for that. So I think Brazil wins. I don't think they look great doing it, but I think Coutinho is just too hot right now for Mexico to handle. Yeah, he's definitely overshadowing Neymar in a way that I'm kind of enjoying because, you know, Neymar is obviously an excellent player, but I feel like people are just forgetting that he missed a huge part of the season due to injury. And, you know, he... And that Coutinho, you know, was playing really well for a lot of the season. So it's, I, I'm glad that Coutinho is getting the recognition that I think he deserves on on this big stage. Even you know, not that I, no disrespect to Neymar, he's he's obviously a very good player too. Coutinho should have played for Brazil when they hosted the World Cup. I mean, this is this is what he deserves, and I think he's got a World Cup to make up for it. He, he's looked good. Yeah. One other question for this Brazil Mexico before we move on. Are you disappointed with Mexico's World Cup if they play a close game and lose to Brazil? Is you know that's probably what people would expect. You know, Mexico isn't going to be the favorite against Brazil, but is that still a disappointment if they go out again in the round of sixteen? If you told me that they took Brazil to the wire before the tournament started, I would have been pretty happy. Seeing how it played out, seeing the way that they fell apart against Sweden. And when they really just needed a point to get on the the other side of the bracket and avoid Brazil, then it will hurt because this seems preventable. Had they, you know, lost against Germany and Germany went on to win the group like they were supposed to and Mexico came second with good performances and didn't get blown out like they got blown out 7-0 against Chile, then I, I would be satisfied. But if they lose, then it's it hurts because you feel like you could have avoided it. Moving on, Belgium-Japan. That Belgium-England game, I, I was simultaneously mad and also like really tired because it was so boring that I wanted to fall asleep in that game. It was just both Belgium and England basically fielded their second 11s, neither one with really any intent to win. Belgium ended up getting a goal from Adnan Yanazai, of all people, who somehow is still around. But, I mean, just a, a really terrible game. And we still don't know for Belgium or England, you know, if these teams are for real. Yeah, I think the less said about that game, the better. The best moment was when Mishi Batshuayi grabs the ball in celebration, intends to, like, kick it into the stands or in the side of the net, hits the post and goes back and hits him in the face. So when that's your best moment, then that tells you how good the game was. And then we'll talk about Pickford later. 
But again, we don't know if this Belgium team is good or not. We don't know how this three in the back will stand up because they've played three soft games. And you could argue that this is going to be a fourth because I think Japan is potentially the weakest team left in the field. But if we don't know they're actually good, they might lose to Japan. So I literally can say nothing about Belgium. As for Japan... I mean, obviously we talked about it already. They got through on the fair play points. But I think we have to give a little credit to the keeper, Kawashima, because he made a couple big saves to keep it at 1-0. Otherwise, Japan would have been out on goal difference. So I think he deserves credit for getting them here. Definitely. He he was good. He made a really excellent save in that Poland game where he palmed the ball off the line. It was pretty close to going through. Definitely an exciting save to watch. The most exciting moment of what was a pretty boring game, to be honest. I'll tell you who's even more lucky than the Japanese team in general to be through because, you know, they did some good things is Japan's manager who decided to make some wholesale changes, not quite on Belgium-England level, but he took out Shinji Kagawa. He took out Takashi Inui, who looked really good against Senegal. And, you know, they lost that game. If he had made those substitutions and Japan had gone out, I think, I mean, he'd, he'd be fired pretty quick, I would imagine. Yeah, it it was a weird situation because it's not like they needed to play defensive. I mean, yeah, a draw would get you there, but I don't think you ever play for a draw when you can, you know, maybe win. You have a chance to win the group if you win the game. In fact, I think they almost would have guaranteed a group win had they won the game. So that was weird. But maybe it's just the result of an experience because I think Japan had a lot of struggles coming to the World Cup. I think their manager was only in charge for two games before the tournament started. So maybe that's just as an experience showing, but yeah, it wasn't smart to make those changes because they almost paid for it. Almost, but they didn't, and they're in the round of 16, as are Sweden and Switzerland. Sweden, definitely, maybe, I would say the most surprising group winners, pretty clear cut after they beat Mexico 3-0. They also beat South Korea and lost to Germany in the group stage, but that was enough to get them through. Are they a legitimately good team after that Mexico performance, you know, with only really that one good win to their name? Or are they just sort of lucky to be in the situation they're in with with one good game that is, you know, not who they really are? They might get past Switzerland because Switzerland is, I still think, the most boring team in in the 32 and is definitely the most boring team left out of these 16. What worries me in Sweden is even if they do beat Switzerland, I don't think they're a legit contender because they cannot see out a close game against a good team. They were idiotic in the way that they they had Germany on the ropes with 10 men, and then they sat back and let Germany have the ball, which is why Germany even had a chance going into the final day. So I think they had a good win. I think they can show you that they're capable of that, but in a tight game, I would bet against them. Yeah, I think that's fair. This is a pretty toss-up game as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Switzerland, I I said that I think, you know, they would perform. They're the prototypical kind of good, not elite European side that makes it to the round of 16 and goes out. And I think they've really performed to my expectations so far. They looked, you know, kind of good, not amazing in the group stage, did enough to come in second, managed to get a draw against Brazil, and, you know, are now playing Sweden, which, I mean, I think 
against most teams in the round of 16, I, I would think they, they would definitely not advance because Sweden's one of the weaker teams. I think Switzerland do have a chance. That being said, I mean, Switzerland seems so much like a round of 16 and exit team to me that it's hard for me to imagine them going farther, even if realistically the matchup is not too bad for them. So I would say just based on that, I'm going to pick Sweden, but I, I think either team has a chance. Yeah, and I think Sweden will have the best player on the field in Shakiri. although I guess Forsberg is an honorable mention. Sorry, Switzerland will have the best player on the field with Shakiri. although Forsberg's an honorable mention for Sweden. But anyway, if there's going to be a game I'm going to sleep through, it's going to be that one because it's just going to be a stinker. And then the final game of this round of 16, we have Colombia-England. Um, both have their star midfielder injured. Deli Ali, I think, uh, had some sort of muscle issue against Tunisia and hasn't played the two games since. And James Rodriguez, who didn't start the first match against, against Japan and had to come off about 30 minutes into the Senegal game, are out um, so that'll affect how the game plays, but I mean, what what do you think of how they've played so far, and what are their chances in this final game? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for England, it, it's it pretty similar to what it is with Belgium. You know, they didn't play their actual starting eleven in that England Belgium game, and their first two group stage games were against fairly lesser opposition. So it, it's hard to say if they're gonna actually be a legit contender. I mean, they certainly have a, a tougher matchup than Belgium does against Colombia. There was a lot of talk about, oh, England should you know, lose on purpose and come in second so that they're on the easier side of the draw, which makes no sense when you have to play Colombia instead of Japan. And you know, once you get into the later stages, you're against you know, elite opposition regardless. So I, I didn't understand that argument. But, I mean, yeah, with England, you just don't know. For Colombia... Obviously, they looked really good against Poland in that 3-0 win. And, you know, they were a man down, so it's hard to judge too much their first game against Japan. But they didn't look great to me against Senegal. You know, they, they were just okay, and I, I think not having Hamas in there is going to hurt a lot because I think just the, the combination of Hamas and Quintero was what made Colombia so good against Poland. And I think with just one of them, you know, Quintero is still a really good player, but it definitely it it hurts Colombia a lot to not have Hamas in, obviously, and I think even more than people expect, to be honest, just because the the two options there with those two attacking midfield creative players, I think, is really what is the spark for the team. And I don't know how far Cantero can get the team by himself. Yeah, I mean, they were certainly less dynamic, but England plays five in the back, so it's not like they're England's going to try and go punch for punch with Colombia. And I, I'm questioning Jordan Pickford for this game because I think you looked at his game against Belgium. There were two balls in the stick that he should have covered up that he somehow didn't. And then for Januzaj's goal, he jumped up without really diving to the side. So I don't think he's as good as he's maybe made out to seem because he's, oh, a young English goalkeeper and England has some good ones coming through. But no, I'm not impressed by Pickford. I think that... Any Colombian shot on target that he has somewhat stretch for, um, in typical English fashion, he's going to bottle it. Um, so I'm taking Colombia. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty fair pick. I mean, I, again, just with the uncertainty with England, who knows? I, I don't. I don't think it'll happen, but it's possible they come out against Colombia and look amazing and you know do do really well. 
I, I don't expect that to happen, I think. England have a shot just because Harry Kane, in whatever manner, is putting balls in the back of the net. But, I mean, I'd probably go with Colombia too, just having seen these teams play and looking at the, the names they've got on their, on their starting eleven. Yeah, but at least we'll finally know who England and Belgium are after this round. I hope so. Um, I really hope so. <laughs> you would think. Just a couple little tidbits. We now have a record number of own goals. We've got nine. There's, we surpassed the record amount of penalties taken and probably penalties scored just by virtue of VAR going at back to look at those. But it's been a good group stage. Enjoy your day off. Rest your eyes. And then, then we got the round of 16. This is where the, the second tournament begins, if you will. We'll see you next time.